Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Do you know, I never cease to be amazed at how much there is to learn. Do you know what I mean? I learned something new yesterday. Okay? I spent most of the day on my knees. And uh, before you get worried, I was laying a laminate floor in the, in, the, in the dining room. And I learned something new. Knee protectors are excellent, but they don't stop you getting a stiff neck. Now, how many of you saw the video in groups this week? Quite a few of you. Did you learn anything new? Did it refresh anything in you? Did it make you think, I've learnt something new about what our God is capable of doing? There's a few little nods. What did you make of it? Come on, give me some feedback. Yeah. Yeah. The passion. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. 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 Have you not got that courage, Jackie? Possibly not in that point. <laughs> okay. You know, there's a plan underfoot. Because I think we need to get involved in prophetic evangelism like some of that video showed. But I know that for most people here this morning, that is several steps outside your comfort zone. Now we're called to step out of our comfort zone, but sometimes things are just too big a leap to do in one go. And so, do you remember these from last week? Yeah? That's what these are about. These are the first step. Because it's not so uncomfortable, is it, that you couldn't give one of those to someone. Someone that you'll probably never see again. It hasn't got your phone number on the back. So you're not going to have to deal with the awkward questions. Hang on, whose phone number is that? That's ours. Um, uh, Can I have them back, please? (laughs) I just want to challenge you. Has anyone managed to give one out this week? Well done, Jackie. Do you want to tell us about it? Okay, how many of you would be willing to commit to try to give one out a week? Alright, now I'm only saying try, I'm not saying succeed, but actually to start each week thinking, I'm going to give one of those out this week. 
Now, you don't have to feel rejected and terrible if you get to the end of the week and haven't had an opportunity. Okay? But why not just set yourself that goal? I'm going to try and find the opportunity, if it presents itself before me, to give one of these out this week. And then next week, I'm going to try and give another one out. And who knows, I might get really brave and give two out one week. Because who could you give them to? Well, it's the people in the shop queue, isn't there? When you're at Tesco's, and despite what they say, there's more than three people ahead of you. And, yeah, people want something to read, don't they? So you can just say, are you bored? Why not have one of these? There's always the young girl on the till. I mean, can you imagine working on a till at Tesco's, watching people's stomachs go past all day? Because that's what you do. Funny enough, I put a homeless guy begging in the town centre. Oh, here's one. What about those teenagers hanging around outside the local shop at a bit of a loose end? Oh, that's a bit too far, is it? Sorry. This is step one. Let's just get comfortable doing something non-confrontational. Okay? Step two will come March the 21st. I'd be really pleased if we take two or three carfuls down to Bedford, do the training in the morning, and then go out and hit the streets with them in the afternoon. You'll be with people who've done this before, okay? And you'll still be meeting people that you'll probably never see again in your life, unless, like us, you've lived in Bedford for a while. That's what it's about. Does anyone still need some of these? I'll put them here, help yourself later. We've got another thousand or so, so, you know, take a few. Passion. Last week, I introduced our series for this year, and it was based around five words that begin with the letter P. Passion, purity, presence, power, and prayer. And I don't know how much you remember... Because if you're like me, some things that people preach about, I can remember for years. Others ask me Monday morning, and it's a bit of a challenge. That's why I take notes. But they all came out of a passage at the beginning of Isaiah 6. And I just want to read the first four verses again this morning. This is what Isaiah wrote. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This morning, we're going to start to look at this passage in more depth.
Now, the introductory talk for Alpha isn't only relevant for non-Christians. It's actually very relevant for Christians as well. It's called Christianity. Boring, untrue and irrelevant. Unfortunately, as a question mark on the end. But for some people, the experience of Christianity day to day leaves a lot to be desired. So I want to ask you some questions this morning. Are you bored with your Christian life? Are you bored with your faith? Do I even dare ask this one? Are you a little bored with God? And just take a moment just to reflect on those and answer those questions in your mind just as honestly as you can. Because if the answer to any of them is yes, or even maybe, then there's a trouble. And the trouble is you've become religious. The Quaker Thomas Kelly said, People nowadays take time far more seriously than they do eternity. Yeah? People nowadays take time far more seriously than they do eternity. If you're just a bit bored with your faith, if you're bored with church life, then you've fallen into the same trap. You've lost sight of the bigger picture because you've been bogged down in the mundane, routine issues of life. I just want you to realise that there is so much more for you. There's so much more for you and for your life beyond that that you're experiencing today. One Sunday morning, the writer and broadcaster Claire Rayner was being interviewed by the Radio 4 presenter Eddie Mayer. And she was talking about a time in her life when she'd suffered from a serious illness. In fact, she'd been critically ill. And she'd spent quite a while in intensive care. And her friends and her family were fearful that she might not survive. And she spoke of the emotions that she experienced because it seemed like her entire world was collapsing around her. And she explained that what she did was she turned inward. And that, in fact, caused her family a great deal of difficulty and added distress during that period. And Mayor asked her if during this brush with death she had any supernatural experience of any kind. Had she seen God? And this is what she replied. No. I'm a humanist. An atheist humanist, in fact. And I'm proud to say I'm president of the British Humanist Association. Please, come and join us. Mayor persisted a bit more with his line of questioning. And he then said to her, well, did you ever pray? And Rayner replied, well, who's to pray to? I don't want to sound rude to people who are God-believers, but it would be like praying to the Tooth Fairy or Santa Claus. 
It just doesn't make sense to me. The lady doesn't pray and insists there's no one there to answer. Now, when I hear people talk like that, it disturbs me. It makes me actually feel a bit indignant, if I'm honest, because it robs God of the honour that he deserves. She recovered from her illness. And we know it is God who restores people's lives. He often does it without being asked. And in this case, he went unthanked and unacknowledged for his part in the process. Now the interesting thing is, if you look at the stated aims of the British Humanist Association, to which Claire Rayner belongs and is president, it says that they're there to help humanists and other non-religious people to gain confidence in their beliefs and build a foundation from which to live their lives with integrity. There's an irony here. It seems that even people with no belief system feel the need to base their lives on one set of beliefs or another. That's what it says. So they're helping people who have no beliefs to build a foundation on which to launch off from into their lives. And when I listened to that interview, what came across really clearly is that everyone, without exception, is looking to be part of something that is just bigger than themselves. They long to be an important part of something that has significance, something great. You could almost use the word transcendent. Something that goes beyond the normal confines of our life and our understanding. And Claire Rayner, she had directed her search for truth along the path of humanism. And she was hoping to find some sense of meaning and value there. So even people who confess to being atheist humanists, who by definition don't even acknowledge the existence of God, are actually looking for something that can bring sense and in fact this sense of transcendence to their normal earthly lives. They want their lives to count for something, just as much as you or I do. We all want to make a difference in the world. But we're consistently sucked into the world system. We become impregnated with its values, and we so easily lose our way. And you know, as God's people, we're not any more immune to that than anybody else. We might be more aware of our hunger for this transcendence. Because we're aware of its true source. But we still go looking for it in the wrong places. We are so easily seduced by materialism and pleasure. We're so easily distracted by peripheral concerns. When we, the church, should have values that are 
totally and utterly alternative to the norms and values that we see around us, the ones that influence and affect our culture. The Old Testament scholar, do you know, I can never say his name. It's Walter, and it's a German name beginning with B. I'll have a go. <laughs> the danger is it's going to come out rude if I get this wrong. Okay. Brugiman, I think. I was specifically talking about the prophetic ministry and he summed this up perfectly when he said our task as the church is to nurture, nourish and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of a dominant culture around us. In other words, we have to light the path. We have to show the way. We have to show the way that will lead people to the true meaning and fulfilment in their lives. And that path is the one towards an encounter with the Almighty God. It's like those who live outside of Christ. They're trapped in a stuffy, two-dimensional world. A world in which God has no part and isn't acknowledged in any way. And they long to get out of it and experience the quality and the richness. But it's only possible in that extra dimension that their world is currently missing. So how do they find it? All over the world, people are looking for experiences that take them beyond the mundane. In India, amongst the slum dwellers, there are those who will spend their last few rupees on a visit to the cinema in an attempt to escape the desperation of their poverty. Because by watching a Bollywood musical for an hour, or a couple of hours, they are for a while transported into a magical world. A world of wealth, of romance, of music and of harmony that is so in contrast to their normal existence. I saw a travel programme recently. It was hosted by one of those well-known comedians and he was travelling in India. Now, he came to a place where an enterprising man had made a successful business from an old, unairworthy jumbo jet. Every day, hundreds of people paid to get on the plane and take a seat, to be given a sandwich and a pre-packed drink by a stewardess, to watch an in-flight movie, and then finally escape an imaginary disaster down the emergency chutes. <laughs> the plane never left the ground. Yet people paid. Why? Because this was the nearest they would ever get to being on a real flight. 
This simulated experience was enough to lift them for a few hours out of their normal day-to-day -day situation. But if you think this only happens in India, you're mistaken. It could be a Sheffield steel worker who gets paralytic in the pub all weekend before going back to his tedious, dull, weekly routine. Sweating his guts out in the heat of the machine shop. It could be a high-powered corporate lawyer who leaves the city at the weekend to go paintballing with his friends in the wood. Why? Because he wants to escape the stress and pressure of his job. And what all these people have in common is they're looking for this sense of transcendence. For some experience or encounter that would take them completely out of their normal existence. They're grasping something outside of themselves. Something that would take away their emptiness. Looking for something exciting that will give them meaning and significance. And when you think about it, people do this in some really odd ways. There's the guy who spends an inordinate amount of time washing and waxing his 4 by 4 For him, it's a near religious experience. I mean, he's probably worked and saved for years for what he sees as a symbol of success. But what does it really add to his life? And what about the people who make their weekly pilgrimage to Meadowhall? Returning with bloated bags of shopping, many of which they will return the following week because they were the wrong size. What about the person who dreams how much more enjoyable life will be when they finally buy that 52-inch plasma screen so they have the complete home entertainment experience? You know, if we followed our culture on these matters, as it's laid out in these powerful advertising campaigns that we are bombarded with day after day, we could spend all our time and our money in a wide range of pleasures and distractions. In fact, so many, we could fill the rest of our life. But there's got to be more to life than that, hasn't there? Whatever you spend your money on or seek to experience, you will always feel there's got to be more to life than this. Because as we should know by now, the novelties of the world's pleasures wear off sooner or later. You know, it's reported that the top two holiday destinations in the world are Disneyland in Florida and Las Vegas. More people visit these two places for rest and relaxation than any other place on the planet. One is a gambling centre and the other a pleasure park. 
And the tourist sign in visiting them is that they have a once-in-a-lifetime trip. And I'm sure many do. But the excitement doesn't last forever. They come home and just as quickly normal service is resumed. By way of contrast, in recent years, tens if not hundreds of thousands of Christians have flocked to several different North American destinations in search of a greater spiritual experience. The Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship in Canada, the Brownsville Assembly of God Church in Pensacola, Florida, and more recently, Lakeland in Florida. Now, some have had encounters that have proven to be truly life-changing. And the experience to be found at each has been significantly different. In Toronto, the emphasis was on a revelation of the Father's love. And in Pensacola, it was about the Lord's holiness. John and Caruana in Toronto led many people to a new experience of their adoption as children of God. Whilst in Pensacola, the evangelist Steve Hill preached God's word like a blowtorch, scorching deep into people's hearts. Compromise and sin was burnt out of people's lives. And both experiences led to people returning home feeling forgiven, feeling cleansed, and feeling they could start a radically new life for God. God's love and God's holiness. These are experiences that are vital for every one of us to encounter at some point in our life. We have to, at some point, have an overwhelming experience of God if we want to find ourselves in a place where he can really use us. Tozer said, What first comes into our minds when we're made to think about God is the most important thing for us. And the trouble is that most of us who profess to follow Christ only have a shallow and superficial view of who God really is. What we think about God is limited because we're caught up in a kind of self-indulgence and self-centeredness that only looks to God for what he can do for us. And I think this mindset pervades a lot of the modern church. Even the church has become a consumer commodity for many. Sadly, many in our current generation of Christians have lost all sense of greatness, of transcendence, of the power and the majesty of God. Instead, we see the Almighty God as a kind of genie in a lamp, ready and available when we summon him to grant us three wishes, to make our lives easier, just like that. 
in effect, we've produced a designer deity who will cater for our every need. And in so doing, we've made him both marketable and manageable. And I hope that watching the video this week may have just opened your eyes a little. Because that simply isn't the case. God can't be put in a box. Not only have we endeavoured to impose on God the role of a cosmic Father Christmas, but some church leaders and Christians have tried to put him in a box that makes him both predictable and portable. After all, we don't want a God who will do anything unpredictable or uncomfortable. Surely our God wouldn't do anything to shock or surprise us or overwhelm us. Our God wouldn't want to destroy anyone. That last one might shock you. But Isaiah would take issue with that. We try to restrict God to the confines of our limited perceptions of him. And we all do it in different ways. There's the Pentecostal version, there's the charismatic version, there's the Anglican version, the Greek Orthodox version, and the free church version of this box. But whatever, it's still a box. What we've done is hung God on a chain and made him our lucky mascot, whose job it is to help us find car parking spaces when we go to the supermarket on a busy Saturday afternoon. And then we terrorise him on a Sunday evening in the God slot with religious programmes that must leave many with the impression that he's a comfortable crutch for old ladies and snotty little choir boys who just can't get by in life without him. The result is that it's made God black and white He's no longer colour. And as a result, he's incredibly dull. As one writer put it, years of bringing one emotion to God, a kind of bored solemnity and at ease familiarity, pervade so many church services with total and utter blandness. This is not the experience that Isaiah had. This is joyless, tired religion. And we need to get out of that. No wonder the church isn't cutting it in the tough inner cities of Britain today. Because someone who was seeking could probably find more sense of transcendence in half a bottle of vodka than they could in some churches. Where is the sense of an all-powerful presence of God in our churches today? No wonder people are staying away. But I believe God 
wants to raise up an effective church. A church that is successful, that's not defeated, not bogged down and not frivolous. A church that's been caused to sit up and take notice of God himself. And surely that will cause others to sit up and take notice as well. So getting back to Isaiah. Isaiah's experience and knowledge of God probably resembled that tired picture of religion. Until one day in the temple when he encountered God face to face. And his world was just blown apart. From that moment on, he was a changed man. The first five chapters of Isaiah report the staggering, disturbing words that he prophesied to his contemporaries in what was at the time a backsliding nation. But Isaiah 6 doesn't follow on chronologically from those prophecies. It actually precludes them all. These incredibly powerful words, with their astonishing depth and foresight, were spoken by a man who had been set on fire by God. These words of sharpness and of a huge magnitude were spoken for one reason, and for one reason only. In Isaiah's own words, he says, in the, king that Uzziah di- in the year that the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. John Piper once commented on his preference of spending time reading the great 18th century writers. He was thinking of people like Jonathan Edwards. And he said, but it was simply because we have all lived in the 20th century with an atmosphere that is too dense with man. I love that phrase, too dense with man. We think too much about men and not enough about God. We need to capture and experience, once again, the true weightiness of God. And that's why this passage in Isaiah 6 is so significant for us. Because I believe if we can encounter God in the same way as Isaiah did, at least in some degree, we can hear his voice and we can know his commission on our lives just like the prophet did. John Piper's right. The reason why so many fail to hear God and to connect with their God-given destiny is that almost our whole focus has been upon man. We're just too preoccupied with ourselves, with our choices, with our preferences and with our intellectual bias. We're too preoccupied with political correctness. We're too preoccupied with whether people like us or dislike us. 
you think Isaiah was bothered about those things after he had seen the Lord? Although we've lived in an atmosphere that's too dense with men, something deep within us calls out. There's something stirring in the hearts of God's people all over the world in every stream of church life. Somehow, over the bored silence of normal church, there's a small, faint sound. It's a distinctive sound. It's the call of God. This morning I just want to ask you one question. Are you ready to hear the call of God on your life? And are you ready to respond like Isaiah did and say, Here I am. Send me. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 